0: It's been just a few days since Tim Keller went to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A pastor, writer, and theologian, Keller has had a profound impact on so many during the late 20th and early 21st centuries. I, for one, have been blessed by Keller's ministry. Today, I'm going to converse with some youth ministry friends about the life, impact, and legacy of Tim Keller and what it means for all of us moving forward on this episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults.
0: Well, welcome, everybody, to an episode of Youth Culture Matters, a new episode here that I'm very excited about. I know that uh, the prompt for this is one that I think uh, leaves many of us grieving, uh, although we grieve with great hope, as just a few days ago, Timothy Keller, Tim Keller, who most of our listeners are aware of, went to be with Christ, and uh, Mm. he talked a lot about uh, suffering, about death. He suffered with uh, pancreatic cancer. For quite some time, the Lord was gracious in giving him some years to do some more ministry and do some more writing. We'll talk some about that. Uh, But as we think about Keller, I thought it would be a good idea to get a couple of my youth ministry friends together just to reflect back on Keller's life and specifically on some of his influences. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, That's what we want to really focus on here in the podcast but I do want to introduce the two guys who are with me today. Uh, first off, Kyle Hofsmith. Kyle, welcome. Most of our folks know you uh, from the Word well, and Youth good to Ministry be here this morning. podcast here. Kyle's at Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. He, I said mm-hmm. to him he looks a little bit weary this morning. Mm. He had that—you went over that great hump last night that youth workers—what was that? Just we, your last went
2: over, we went over—we went we went over the the last Wednesday night of the school year, which is is the only the only thing I've inherited in my current ch- church that I'm not a huge fan of, but I still do, and that is uh, we call it messy games. So last night we had a bunch of teenagers here, and it was basically a large food fight um, that ends in a slip and slide that ended in um, the completion of my tenth year of being a youth pastor. So God is kind. And I was happy to take a shower last night and be here talking about Tim Keller today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I said to you, you know, when you, when you hit that hump, I know how that is. You you, you finish something big, right? And you hit a transition mm-hmm. point and you uh, you start to let down a little bit. I think the Lord just mm. gets us ready for rest. So I hope you get that, Kyle. I know you got a busy day, so I'm glad you joined us. And then uh, uh, Jason God Engels. Jason Engel's with us from uh, North Carolina. Jason, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I think some folks are familiar with you.
1: Hey, Walt. It's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I serve at Westwood Baptist Church in Roxborough, North Carolina. That's more central North Carolina. been here for uh, 17 years. And, uh, Kyle, it's funny. You say you just finished your 10th, and I am in my 20th. So that made me feel mm. old, and I appreciate that. Um, but, uh, you know, we just finished up our, our uh kind of year of student worship as well, and um, mm. looking forward to kicking off the summer, but uh, happy to be here with you today.
0: Yeah, so so I got to know Jason. Jason was a part of uh, one of our faith and culture cohorts that we were doing by Zoom here, and then we met face-to-face last, when was it? Well, it November, right? November. Last yeah. November down in Atlanta, uh, Duffy Robbins and myself, we had one of our... Uh, symposiums on traditional biblical sexuality and a changing youth culture, which is always a very fruitful time. We're actually going to do one of those in November again of this year, 2023, so stay tuned on that. But Jason was there, part of that crew around that table where we had some extremely um, provocative and fruitful instruction that I know for everybody there has has yielded some great Mm -hmm. fruit, but also... Uh, Jason, you're part of something brand new here at CPYU that we're very excited about, a dream I've had for years and years, and that is our brand new CPYU Research Fellows Program. You're one of 12. That's a part of that crew. I don't know if you want to let people in on just what that is and the kinds of things you folks will be doing.
1: Yeah, so it's a great honor to be a part of that, and uh, the symposium, too, I'll say that if anyone out there is interested in going, you really should. Um, uh, it was just a great time and a wonderful opportunity to sit around the table with like-minded brothers and sisters and <clears throat> really talk about an area of great dip- difficulty that we face in ministry. And I know mm-hmm. I came away feeling much more confident in um, addressing those issues here at my church and, and beyond that. Um, but the Research Fellow Program, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Walt, your, uh, your resources that you guys put out uh, have just been uh, really helpful and encouraging for us here at our church, for parents especially. And I know that uh, you brought us in to kind of uh, take some of the load of, of writing some of that material and putting some of that res- those resources out and gives us an opportunity to explore that, to uh, kind of develop that craft of researching and writing and gives us a platform to be able to share some of the things that are on our hearts as well. And uh, we're really looking forward to, to being a part of that.
0: Yeah. Well, we're excited you're there, and and I know uh, it's going to be fun to see what you guys come up with. It's great. It's already been great working with you all. So, uh, by the way, the outlet for that is our website, cpyu.org, and our website uh, was just redone, relaunched. We've still got maybe a couple things, Chris, to tweak on there. Chris Wagner's been working very hard on that for months and um, do you want to say something about the website, Chris, just to let folks know what they can find there and and maybe a little bit about how it's changed? Sure. Uh, yeah, we relaunched the, our website on, uh, at the beginning of May, and
3: we're really excited about it. Much more user-friendly. We hope that the resources that we do have available are much easier for you guys to find. Um we just updated the functionality. It's mobile friendly. All the, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the standards, technology wise, that have changed since we last redid our website. You know, we've tried to be up to date with all that kind of stuff so that you can access it mobilely and all those things. Um, but the, our goal is really, of obviously, we want you to be able to access our resources and find them easier. Mm-hmm. So everything from how the search function works to how the resources are organized and being able to find them in, in an easier spot. Uh, that was our goal. But, of course, um, we're still making tweaks behind the scenes, and so if you guys have feedback for us, we welcome that. You can send feedback to cpyu at cpyu.org, uh, and let us know, um, you know, if there's things on the website you're not sure about or you, 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 you things you love, things you
0: don't love. Um, you know, hmm. there's still time to make some changes, so um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and you can uh, access—it's kind of fun to scroll down through there. You can access our three uh, podcasts, Youth Culture Matters, the Word and Youth Ministry, and our daily one-minute Youth Culture Today. They're right there on the homepage. There's a player. You can listen to those, and you can access the archives as well. By the way, Kyle— And, Walt, I just
2: want to mention mention quickly for our listeners, my favorite part of our website is down—if you scroll down to the bottom, there's a section called In the News— and one thing that Chris does really well for for anyone who goes to the website is takes a collection of different um, different articles that are found online and puts them there about youth culture, about technology. Um, I would just recommend, especially for pastors and youth leaders uh, who are looking for information to use as illustrations and sermons that can connect with parents. Uh, I, I think it's it's one of our best kept secrets. Yeah. So um, it, it looks beautiful on the new website
0: yeah I can't thank Chris enough i you know I come in here and I see him just sweating as he's working on this stuff and
2: is uh, he sweating because he's working uh, or because the air conditioner uh, doesn't work well summer, no right? he's
0: sweating because there's there's like hurdles to go over you know if you ever yeah. remember like in, in in if you ran track or if you didn't run track like me, I was a thrower in track. they called it the weight team, so when I would have you know gym class and we'd have to run the hurdles. I I wouldn't sleep for three days before then because I knew it was just going to be brutal. And I think it's like Chris with hurdles here. You know, some of these tough things to get over. You're just you're just am I going to make it over that? Mm. But he's done a great job with that. So good. Well, I want to I want to switch the conversation here to what we're really here to talk about. And that is the life and the legacy of Tim Keller and the influences on him. And I I have either of you guys ever had the opportunity i know you've heard keller a lot and i'm guessing have both of you heard keller in person over the years mm-hmm. i've never got have? the opportunity to i okay. wish i had but never yeah did. yeah but but the, you know the good news is on that is just about everything he's ever done has been recorded and you can find it on youtube and elsewhere right. uh, and we're gonna we're gonna mention some of those things by the way chris get your pen ready because there are so many things we are going to talk about today that you're going to have to link to in the show notes. I'll help you out with this afterwards, but I, I didn't even warn you yet. But I'm ready. So many names, so many books, so many great resources. Uh, Kyle, you've had a chance to hear him, right?
2: Yeah, I heard him at the Gospel Coalition several times. I remember the, fir- the first time I heard him was at the, uh, the Gospel Coalition National Conference. I think it was 2015 or uh, somewhere around then, but I remember he was sick. Here he is, the co-founder of the Gospel Coalition, and he's sick, but uh, he still preached. And I remember them saying that, like, you know, 10% Tim Keller up there preaching is still worth him preaching. But one thing I I loved about hearing him in person is he was doing two things. He was modeling what, uh, what expositional teaching was, but he was also training those who were present in how to do it. And I just remember, you know, whenever you get to go to these conferences and hear people preach um not to honor them as celebrities but to honor them as men of God who are preaching it's just always it's always fun to know that you know this day was coming and you know he wasn't even sick at that point but now he'll never preach in a pulpit again but it was fun to be able to hear him in person preach probably two or three times yeah it, you know one of the
0: things I'll say about that is you mentioned the word celebrity which is such a big deal not just in the culture yeah. but in the culture of the church today and one of the things about Keller was he never left you with that air. And I don't yeah. think he ever saw himself as that. And if he ever was tempted to go down that road, I am certain um, that internally he, he had thought enough and studied the Scriptures enough to know that that was, that was really going to be one of the enemy's ploys to undo him. And so I yeah. know that he— fought back on that. I'm sure he had people in his life around him who helped him navigate that. First and foremost, his wife, Kathy, who uh, you guys are both married. I am as well. And I have a wife who is like that. And that is a great gift. You know, the Lord, I truly believe this, that the Lord gives us the spouses that we need and uh, I've been mm-hmm. blessed with that. And I'm sure he was as well. So I do. I did. Uh, I have not met him since he became well known. And it's it's interesting. You know, his main writing did not start till about 2007, which when you think about that, he really only had about 15. What does that figure to about 15 years yeah. of publishing? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know I handed Chris here a list of all that he's written in terms of books, you know, not even articles and things, but just what he's written in books. And it's it's maybe three dozen. I don't know. It's very long and very prolific in his, in his writing. But prior to that, you know, most people did not know who he was. Now, I'm in the Presbyterian Church of, of America, and uh, Tim Keller uh, was PCA um, at Redeemer Church in New York City, which he founded back in the late— uh, 1980s uh, was PCA part of our denomination, so we were always aware of Keller, but certainly not with what he's done. Now, I—I'll tell you when I met him. I met him in 1985. It was a very brief meeting, but I still remember it very clearly. I had just left Gordon Conwell Seminary. That'll figure back into our discussion a little bit later. I had—it was 1985, and I had two classes left to complete that I was doing as independent studies under the, uh, you know, leadership of two of the profs up there. And so I had moved down to Philadelphia. I was doing youth ministry back where I was from and I where I had grown up, right in the shadow of Westminster Theological Seminary. We mm-hmm. lived in Glenside, Lisa and I did, with our family. And um, I would go over— get away from the church when I was doing coursework and I'd go over to the library at Westminster and hunker down in the basement there. Mm -hmm. And as many seminary libraries do, there was like a wall of faculty offices. These, as I remember them, were all glass. They weren't like solid walls, but you could see in some over there working. And I had, there were two guys who were Westminster students at the time who were doing internships at our Presbyterian church. And I was assisting with the supervision of both and both were doing their work under Tim Keller. He had gone there uh, as first year as a practical theology professor to work alongside a man named Harvey Kahn, who, by the way, Mm -hmm. for anybody interested in urban ministry, missiology, contextualization, Harvey Kahn is, uh, you know, phenomenal resource with what he's written. And so these guys, you know, I knew them, they saw me one of them saw me in the library, came down, we chatted. He says, Hey, do you want to come meet my supervisor, my, my seminary supervisor for, the internship. So we got up, walked across the basement of the library, and went into this office, got to meet, chat with Tim Keller. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I mean, he was a very humble, kind of quiet, nondescript guy. Uh, We did chat very briefly about seminary education because he had been a grad of Gordon Conwell, quite influential in his life. Same thing for me. I was getting ready to finish up Mm. and graduate. So we had that conversation that we went on our ways. And it's been very interesting to see how the influences in our separate ways have been shared and a lot of crossover, which we can talk about here. Uh, but that was when, you know, that was when I met him, never had a conversation with him since, but certainly tracked with his ministry. And more recently, uh, Colin Hansen recent, uh, recently released a book published by Zondervan called Timothy Keller is Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. I want to talk about that Uh, at some point here but what's really interesting about this book is it's not a biography of Keller's life there's a lot about Keller's life in there but it really is about the influences on him intellectually and spiritually and I told the guys before we got on here poor Chris here and then my wife Lisa's I've been reading the book have been subjected to these outbursts of excitement from me where Mm. we have these Keller and myself because of our our paths and how similar they are And I'm not Timothy Keller, but I am so grateful for the providence of God and giving me the influences in my life. And so this was a great book for me to read, Mm -hmm. because what it did was it took me back over the last 40 to 50 years of my life. And as Hanson was listing these things that were part of Keller's life, I'm going, oh my gosh, that was part of my life as well. Or that person was in my home, or that person, you know, I had a chance to study under that person. And... Mm -hmm. I am so grateful for the providence of God and the kinds of influences that he led me to. We'll unpack that a little bit, but I want to ask you guys, to just tell me a little bit about Keller's influence on your life and your ministry. Jason, you want to go first there? Talk talk a little bit about Keller's influence.
1: I think uh, the biggest thing that stands out to me that I've I've thought a lot about over the last um, week, um, and I shared this with our church on, on Sunday morning, Um, is just the fact that Tim Keller believed the gospel. You can tell Mm -hmm. when people truly believe the gospel. And I've been thinking a lot about this difference. You know, there are a lot of people that believe in God. The question is not, do we believe in God? The question is, do we believe God? Um, Do we believe that God is really real? Do we believe that the kingdom is really real? Do we believe that this gospel really unveils for us the truth of all things? And there was just this quiet rest about Keller and all that he did. Mm Um, that just pointed to what he believed to be the durability of the gospel. He really believed the gospel was durable. And much like Paul in the Areopagus in, in Acts 17, he was able to highlight different cultural texts all around him all the time and be able to speak the gospel into those as if the gospel had a seat at the table. And in fact, he believed that the gospel controlled all of that. He believed that the gospel was the story. Uh, of which all the rest were echoes, and it's just beautiful to um, hear him speak of the gospel in a way that he was just rooted in it, and he believed it, and even in his final days, just the way he spoke of the kingdom and the way that he spoke of the reality that transcends death, I think, captured a lot of people's hearts and, you know, really preached the gospel even in his death, and I think that that's true of somebody who takes God at his word and somebody who really believes that the gospel is real.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that on this list of books that he's written, if you look at the last two that were published, which were published while he was dealing with pancreatic cancer, and he knew that death was looming. I mean, anybody who knows about pancreatic cancer knows that, and to to you know to last a year is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I've had three friends over the course of the last year and a half die from pancreatic cancer, and it is quick from diagnosis mm-hmm. to death. And the two books, one was in. Um, well, actually, yeah, two, two of the last three. So the first one uh, in 2020, a book titled On Death, and then uh, a year later, Hope in Times of Fear, the Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter. And like you said, Jason, he really, really believed that. I, you know, I love what you say there. Let me, let me just follow up with you a little bit. If you're, if you, you know, you have um, an audience of uh, youth workers who are listening here, and I know we have many parents who listen as well just a word to them on the importance from your experience the importance of keller
1: uh yeah i mean so I, I believe that there's so much negative discipleship when it comes to uh youth ministry and by that i mean there's just so much of pressing mm-hmm. students into a mold there's so much of talk of what you shouldn't do what you should stay away from what you should flee, mm-hmm. and certainly that's an aspect of discipleship i mean you know, we're going to talk about the things that we are to flee. Paul talks about the clothing that we're to take off, even as he points us to clothing mm. that we are to put on. And and certainly that's that's an aspect of it. But I, I think that we need a better balance between negative discipleship and positive discipleship. And, you know, this is just anecdotal on my part, but I don't, I don't see a lot of people holding up Christ as the treasure to behold for students. I don't see them holding up the kingdom to behold for students. And mm. um, I think Keller really should influence us that way. Uh, when we do, like I just said, when, when we can rest in the reality of the gospel, uh, we want to call students to see Jesus and pursue him. And if all we're doing is calling people to flee things, then there's no, there's not much power in that. There's no power Mm. in that. And, um, you know, as intellectual as Keller was, and indeed he was, he was a powerful intellectual. Um, it, it never came off as him trying to um, trying to capture people's intellect. He was always trying to capture people's hearts. Um, and he was speaking to the imagination. And I think that that is a beautiful balance for us, that we can go deep in the things of God, and we can even be intellectual in the way that we talk about the things of God. But ultimately, we want people's hearts to be captured by the reality of God, by the reality of His kingdom, to see the beauty of Christ, to see the beauty of this gospel that, that gives a better word, um, despite the things that we are are facing. And, you know, that is how he has been influential in my life in the way that I, um, in the way that I carry about being a student pastor, um, you know, is to always try to balance those things. And at the end of the day, hold up hope for students to see and to, and to hold on to and to, and to pursue.
0: Yeah. I like that. And not what we're to flee from,
2: but what we're to embrace and, and move towards Kyle, what about you? Right. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking about – I think one of the first uh, things – one of my first interactions with Tim Keller was watching a Desiring God interview um, on DesiringGod.org where um, they were just talking about Tim Keller's life. And he mentioned how a lot of people aspire to be pastors of large churches, and they have these aspirations. And, Walt, I know this is something um, we've talked about a lot. I I don't know if on the top of your head you remember – you wrote um, a blog post about this. Something about if you seek the spotlight, it'll blind you. Yeah, and, seek the spotlight, you, know, you just, it'll blind you. Yeah. yeah, especially in the youth ministry world, a lot of people trying to do these big things. But one thing that's interesting about Tim Keller is he, he started, he spent a lot of time at a small church in Virginia. I think it was uh, named Hopewell Church. Yeah. And he spent a lot of years. In, and in this, uh, I was sitting in my dorm room in college watching this interview. Where Tim Keller was talking about rather than aspiring to lead a big church, he said he told younger people to go and just go to a small church. And for years, what he did is he pastored people in a small town and he married them and he buried them and he preached, you know, many times. And I just remember listening to that, which is kind of countercultural advice in the Christian world. And then I I compare that to one of my most recent interactions um with people of Tim Keller. And that was about two months ago. My brother is a missionary in Mexico City, and I was down visiting him. And I was I was eating breakfast in this small, um, this small restaurant in Mexico City, in the slums of Mexico City, with my brother, um, who is a missionary in Mexico City, and two of his friends who are interns with City to City, which is an organization that Keller started. And all three of them are being trained by city to city. And, and um, just thinking about, you know, I first heard of Keller talking about going to an obscure place where no one knows who you are. And then fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years later, I'm sitting in this small restaurant um, talking to these three guys who are being trained by city to city who will go out and likely never be well-known preachers to the world like Tim Keller. Yet uh, Keller still had an influence on them and still does even after his death uh so just thinking um what that means for us today is just gives us great hope yeah but it's and and his message his posture his
0: the way that he pursued ministry again was so countercultural in our celebrity loving world mm. in our celebrity loving church i you know as you were talking Kyle what came to mind is um there there's a contrast there between what you said about Keller and all of the press right now that the, all the crazy Hillsong stuff is getting—you know, documentaries and Netflix and this, that, and the other thing—I mean, it's like watching a soap opera, and it's mm. it's embarrassing. And 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 you know, it's it's also it's also a warning to all of us, right? I mean, I, I think we need to take it to heart and use it as a warning. But Keller gives us a great example because he never pursued this, and I'm thinking as you're describing that when he and his wife Kathy graduated from Gordon-Conwell, they had no idea where they were going Mm. to go. Now, this is Tim Keller, all right? They both went and applied with the United States Postal Service to be postal carriers. And then all of a sudden, this thing came up to do three months at this tiny church in this chemical-creating, you know, chemical factory town, Hopewell, Virginia, where— people were blue-collar, down-to-earth, completely opposite Mm -hmm. of, you know, sort of his Bucknell philosophy education, uh, you know, living on the North Shore of Boston, as so many of us have when we were at Gordon-Conwell. And he goes down there, and he just learns about cross-cultural ministry. He learns about loving people. He never complained about it. He embraced it. Then he goes to Westminster. And to your point, Kyle— When you read the story of his calling to start and plant the church in New York City, which has become known as Redeemer Presbyterian Church, he fought that for a long time Mm -hmm. to the point where he had in his mind, as he prayed, certain people that he thought should take that Mm -hmm. position, and he was working to encourage them, you need to do this, you need to start this. And then when all that falls through, somehow the Lord hits him with a clear sense of calling, and by the way, his wife pushed against that, but she eventually caved. It's a great story, and just said, you know what? If the Lord's calling him, I need to go. I mean, great, great—I'll uh, say this, and it's may get me to a great complementarian marriage, right? I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that was not who she was when she went to Gordon-Conwell and enrolled, coming up there from Pittsburgh. She was on a fast track ordination in the USA and that's a whole other story as well. But— What a a beautiful, you know, I I love what you guys both brought up because right there we could stop right now and say there's some great examples for us, not only in our posture but in our message as well. So, hey, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to continue this conversation because there's so many things we can talk about. And I want you to stick with us because we're going to start to get into naming influences. You know, as you look back over the course of your life, it's the people you spend time with, the books that you read, the media that you engage with, you know, the kind of education that you receive and, and you, that you really seek out that shapes us. And we can be misshapen and deformed as well, but being shaped and formed in good ways for ministry, for life, for parenting, uh, for youth ministry, that's what we're passionate about here. And we're going to have that, that conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right back. CPYU has been around now for over three decades. Our mission remains what it has always been, to increase the ability of home and church to nurture children and teens into a lifetime of biblically faithful whole-life Christian discipleship. We've been gearing up to continue to help you understand and respond with biblical hope to today's youth culture. I'm happy to announce that we've launched our brand-new website, which can be found at cpyu.org. Visit it regularly for updated youth culture news, access to our growing database of free resources for parents and youth workers, and to hear our podcasts. Be sure to bookmark cpyu.org and use it in your efforts to disciple your children and teens.
2: And we're back here on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thankful for CPYU, our CPYU podcast network. Um, and we're talking about Tim Keller today. And, Walt, I know you are excited um, about this uh, book that Colin Hansen just put out. And even that is just interesting how Colin has worked for so long with the Gospel Coalition, which Tim Keller has found has co-founded with Don Carson. Um, But this new book that uh, came out recently, I will confess, since we have been recording this episode, I went on Amazon and bought it, and it will be coming, and uh, I'm interested. I know one of my co-workers, our college pastor, Bruce, um, as soon as he read this a couple of weeks ago, he was like, everyone, you got to read this. But I know um, you've been enjoying it, and I was just wondering, as we're thinking about influences, Walt, um, I know this has just sparked a lot in your mind, thinking about influences of Tim Keller and yourself. And I was just wondering maybe what you could share with our listeners yeah. today.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. When I got to the end of the book, I should have read this first, right? Because, you know, you're thinking you're going to read a biography. And I should have known mm-hmm. from the subtitle of the book is Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. But there, there wasn't enough of a clue there for me being not a very smart person to get this. But mm-hmm. I get to the postscript right after the last – after the epilogue. I mean, this is one of those books with epilogue, postscript, post post, you know, all that. Mm. But but Hansen writes this, I never found a parallel among biographies for this book, which has explored the influences on more than the influence of our subject. Mm. And I think that's why it, it just it, it gave me great hope, just a sense of thankfulness. And I actually, as I was doing this, I would go back to inside the front cover, I had a pen with me, some underlining things. Every time I came across a name, every time I came across a book, every time I came across something that's part of our—when I say our, I mean my and Tim Keller's shared spiritual and uh, I would say intellectual DNA, if I can, if I can use that term about myself, intellectual—but um, because I do love to read and I do love to learn, um, it is amazing. It was amazing. So I'm constantly writing like, oh, man, there's another name. Oh, man, there's another book. Oh, man, there's another writer. There's another place. And so I made this list. So I'm going to rifle through this really quick. And the reason Mm -hmm. I want to share this is not only because it excites me and it's going to be very therapeutic and joy-giving to do, uh, so I apologize for that. But when we talk about influences, everyone who's listening, make note of some of these names. Make note of some of these Mm -hmm. books because if you want to know How Keller, by the providence of God, became who he was. And I will say this, um, it's helped me understand, as I've looked back with great joy over the providence of God in my own life, I've seen, and, and this has really brought together and helped gel for me, the unity of these influences that have left me where I am now. And I want to continue on. There were other things in that book that I read about that I'm not familiar with that I'm going to grab. And, and I'm going to get into these things. So, um, and I, I broke this down, like, to periods of my life. So bear with me, guys, but simple things, all right? So, like, in my childhood, my dad was a pastor. We were in Jenkintown, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, which is right in the shadow of Westminster Seminary. And, you know, Keller lived there. I, I've said in past podcasts before that if you ever watch the Goldbergs on television, that's Jenkintown, that tiny little town. They were two blocks from us where we lived. But during my childhood, my dad was uh, it was a very, very bright man in the New Testament and a Greek scholar, got to know lots of people. He was educated at Reformed Episcopal uh, Seminary, then also at Princeton. But I'm going to mm-hmm. give you some—and then he went on to teach. I'm going to give you some names here that are just amazing that were part of Keller's life. So Bruce Metzger, mm-hmm. uh, the scholar at Princeton, who uh, my dad was talking about all the time. My dad knew. Mm-hmm. My dad would confer with Uh, Center for Urban Theological Studies. When I was in uh, middle school, my dad started to teach there. That actually grew out of a combination of Geneva College and Westminster Seminary. Uh, He taught New Testament there. Bill Crispin, who's mentioned in the book, was a friend of my dad's and someone that I knew as well who ran that. Uh, Conwell School of Theology, which in 1969, 68, 69, merged with Gordon Divinity School and moved up to the North Shore of Boston. My dad taught there. That was the, uh, the theological school—most people don't know this—at Temple University. It was the graduate theological school at Temple. Uh, Stuart Barton Babbage, an Australian theologian who I've quoted here on the podcast before, who I remember coming to our home. Philip Hughes, Philip Edgecombe Hughes, who taught at Westminster as well, uh, was from over the pond, and and most people would know him from his commentary on Hebrews. He was in our house constantly. In fact, my mom was just reminding me that I told— Phillips, Hughes' wife, one day when she asked me as a little boy, uh, do you love Jesus? I said, no, I hate Jesus. And, of course, there's more to the story on that, but that really rattled her. Um, Harvey Kahn, who I mentioned earlier, who's a practical theology guy at Westminster. Ray Dillard, who taught at Westminster, passed away several years ago. And then even Pinebrook. The Kellers went to Pinebrook, which at the time, I think it still is, it was a Bible fellowship camp. Kyle, were you ever there? Did you ever hear of... The P- Pine Brook. I used I've to never go there. Pine Brook. Yeah, on retreats and things. So that played into it. Then I. Then Is I thinking, outside of Philly somewhere. Well, it's up in the Poconos. Yeah, so it's up okay, in the, yeah. up around mm-hmm. Stroudsburg, that area. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get there today, but I was there a lot when I was a kid. You know, so the influence of that, the mm-hmm. Bible Fellowship Church, and then, you know, when I was at Geneva, R.C. Sproul, I got to sit under Sproul. He came and did some training for a small group of us for a couple of weeks one year. James Boyce, the same thing. Keller cites uh, Francis Schaefer and Labrie uh, and then also uh, Hans mm. Ruckmacher, who was a contemporary of Schaefer. His book, uh, Modern Art and the Death of the of Culture, is one that I've quoted for years here at CPYU. And I remember meeting Ruckmacher, mm. hosting him for lunch one time, he and I together when I was a student at Geneva. Gerhardus Voss, who influenced Meredith Klein, who was a huge influence on Keller at uh, – At uh, uh, Gordon Conwell, Uh, Gerhardus Foss wrote biblical theology, and that's really Mm -hmm. what was behind everything we learned at Geneva. And then his son J.G. was getting ready to retire; was an elderly man. And I got to know him when I went to Geneva. That was his last year, but he stuck around uh, during my four years and was on campus. And I got to spend some time with him, J.G. Foss. So uh, my Geneva thesis. but then my early days of of ministry, when I graduated from Geneva and went to Johnstown, John Guest is mentioned several times, an Englishman who came over with Young Life and did concerts during the 1960s where young people would come to faith. He had a band at the time. He came over then eventually and settled in the Pittsburgh area, had this vision of Pittsburgh becoming a city as known for God as it was for steel. That's where Kathy Keller grew up. And so Guest was an influence in her life when she was involved in Young Life in Pittsburgh. Dora Hillman, who I met, who was an older philanthropist, a widow, who donated out of her abundance of wealth all the land in in Ligonier for the Ligonier Valley Study Center. Of course, R.C. Sproul, John Gerstner is mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to sit for a week with John Gerstner under his i got some good stories about him, too. The Coalition for Christian Outreach that I worked with, for three years right out. And then when Keller lived in Johnstown, which I did not know, where, where my wife is from and where I did ministry, this tiny little dying steel town. And lots of stories. I shared this with Kyle about driving over the Laurel Mountain, which was significant in my life. Then I went went um, uh, up to up to Gordon Conwell, and I think about some of my classmates who— And professors, so my classmates, guys like Mark Dever, uh, Mark Acuff, Doug Calhoun, Pete Scazzaro, John Van Mirbeck, Tim Tennant, these guys have gone on to do some amazing things. And I remember all of our lunches together, either laughing about life, talking about theology and ministry, or, you know, just having a good time talking about sports, that, that kind of thing. And then the professors, Bob Pasmino, who's written a tremendous book I recommend to youth workers called, Foundational Issues in Christian Education. He was part of Keller's, you know, friend inner circle, as was, you know, Doug and Adele Calhoun, which I was unaware of at the time. Um, Richard Lovelace, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, a book I just reread that was kind of the book, sort of like uh, Carl Truman's, you know, uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self a couple of years ago was the book of the year. Um, Lovelace's Dynamics of Spiritual Life in the late 70s was being read everywhere. And I just reread that. By the way, Loveless, the absent-minded church history professor who, um, if folks are interested, it's a tough read. I just gave it to a friend of mine to read who who studied under Loveless. There's a a book by his son called Scattershot, which is a memoir, subtitled Memoir of My Bipolar Family. Loveless was, and it's very sad in so many ways, but just a a genius and a spiritual giant. Roger Nicole, uh, I can't say enough about Nicole. By the way, I'll say to you guys, um, Keller talks about Nicole and Nicole's influence. Nicole was a Baptist. He went down and taught at RTS in Orlando after he left Gordon-Conwell. And I had Nicole for systematic theology, just a dear, sweet man, and spent a lot of time with him personally uh, one-on-one, just a a godly, sweet man. And Keller, they talk about the fact that the way— Nicole taught theology was he would lay out he would he would come up with he would talk about a doctrine, so let's say baptism, and he'd lay out all the views very fairly. Mm-hmm. Each say why he chose the view he he chose. And Keller says that more uh, Baptists came to Gordon Conwell. There were a load of Baptists who came to Gordon Conwell, and after taking his systematic theology class and learning about baptism, he explained Pedo Baptism so well that they became paedo-baptists. You guys have a response to that, or you two are Baptist. Okay, silence. Just laughs, smiles. Wow. It's not happening, is it? Uh, I, do have a, I do have a question. Not about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh,
2: this is so helpful, Walt, as you're mentioning all of these these rec- – like these are people, and some of these people are less known. Some of them are sure. more known. But I'm just wondering for – and then you keep going because I know you have more. But for our listeners who are saying – Maybe they're not even very familiar with you, Walt Mueller, and then maybe they're not very familiar with Tim Keller or these names. How would you encourage our listeners just to help them realize, I mean, there was a wealth of people. You know, we say it takes a village to raise a child. It also took a village in order to influence Tim Keller, who has influenced millions of people. So how would you just encourage our listeners who might not be familiar with these names on why we're actually even having this conversation
0: right now? Well, these are names of people who God has used in mighty ways. Uh, faithful servants of Christ, most of them scholars, many of them scholars and practitioners, many of them just practitioners, you know, who are wise, who have leaned into, and I'll go back to what Jason said at the top, just gospel-centered ministry. I mean, we get into so much that sidetracks us. I mean, just just the the, the demise of theology and biblical theology, um, you know, the rise of consumerism and the culture of consumerism in the church, these people were awesome. And I'll tell you, when I—and you guys have heard me talk about Gordon-Conwell before off off the microphone. When I was there at Gordon-Conwell, it was ground zero for evangelical theological education. And you would walk onto that campus, and it it just—it was—I hate to use the term magical, uh, because I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression there, but there was something happening there— that you can almost cut it with a knife. I mean, I still, I'm going up there in a week and a half with Duffy for, and Adonis Vido for our, our doctor and ministry cohort. And I can't wait. It's like being a kid but kid before, because as soon as I drive onto that campus, something is happening, you know, and, and uh, it reminds me of that. So, yeah, is that, does that answer your question, Kyle? I just, these guys are. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Because I'm just trying to think about, like, it's amazing. For all of us to realize the influences we have in our lives yeah and i know as you're mentioning this even thinking how um how you you know you had conversations when you were a little boy with some of these people um i just think it's such an encouragement especially you know the title of this podcast youth culture matters um the world that these our boys and girls are growing up in today is very different from the world that tim keller grew up in but the gospel has not changed so i just think it's an encouragement for us to be positive influences, not in the world, you know, positive right. influence, but actually like gospel, biblical influences, because the next Tim Keller might be in our youth group right exactly. now. Exactly. Or don't might know. be in our house. Yeah.
0: And yeah. and by but, the way, with that, you know, like when you go back, and, and as Hanson writes about Keller as a boy or Keller at Buckingham, he was very unassuming. He It, it seems like mm. he was an absolute introvert. There was nothing about him, you know, that was, you know, would wow people. He just was earnest in his desire to know truth. Jason, you were going to say something.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say just about influences and how we assess the influences um, mm-hmm. that we take on in our lives. You, you know, you're, what you're speaking to there at the end we live in we live in a culture where we tend to just gather into bubbles, and it's in, it becomes an echo chamber very quickly. Where all of the influences in my life are already affirming things that I believe, things that I think, and you know, as you're listing. Keller's influences, I mean, you see such variety there, and you see that all of these influences were helping Keller become a good thinker, become a good theologian. And I think, especially for student ministry leaders and other people in ministry, uh, we need to be careful not to just get into a bubble, you know, that we are hearing the arguments of those who may disagree with mm-hmm. us in matters of doctrine, matters of, you know, the conclusions and these other things. Um, and, you know, for me, I think. Keller was a little outside of my bubble, but I appreciate the way that he challenged me in the ways um, ways that I thought through things. And, you know, I feel like my conclusions I can hold with greater confidence because I have heard really well articulated arguments uh, by other people who may disagree with me. And so I think there's a there are two con- two sides to the to the coin. We want faithful influences, but we also want to expand our horizons a little bit yes. to faithfulness outside of what we may already have his conclusions. And, um, you know, that's striking me as you're yeah. giving that list yeah. there and just reminding yeah. me of that.
0: Yeah. You know, in response to that, just a couple of thoughts. One is as, uh, when I first read it, I was a little put off, uh, in that Colin Hansen And when I got the book, I went right to the chapters on Gordon Conwell because I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is my world. Right. And, uh, he refers in the book to, to Gordon Conwell as a quote, unquote, smorgasbord seminary. And initially I'm thinking, okay, that's a negative moniker, right? The good thing was, and I think he casts it in a in a in a brighter, more helpful light, and it's what I experienced as well. It's just what you're talking about there, Jason. That people agreed on the essentials. Now there were a couple of times, and this is mentioned in the book, where there were a couple of professors there who were wavering. And if you talk to people who were there before I was, and even in my first year, a professor was encouraged to leave, and and uh, that was a tough, tough thing. But for the most part, there. I mean, there was agreement on the essentials, and that really did stretch us and give us mm-hmm. the best of both yeah. of, of all worlds, and keep us out of the bubbles. And by the way, as you were saying that, I think about when we teach our students, as parents or as youth workers, about choosing your friends wisely. Like I think about Will Smith, who said, "You know, take a look at your five closest friends. That's who you are." Um, and and of course, that that runs back when we go to Proverbs thirteen twenty. I'd rather le- lean into that than Will Smith. But, you know, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I'm going to say this about youth ministry, that I think one of the big mistakes and errors and missteps we've been making in the world of youth ministry is that we jump into the bubble just of other youth workers. And sometimes mm-hmm. the, the highest level theologians that we ever expose ourselves to, the highest level yeah. thinkers that we expose ourselves to are other youth workers. And Mm -hmm. let me just say, uh, because I've been in youth ministry, we're not going very—the bar's not set very high there. And I think that it undermines what it is that we're doing, and we have to work to live. This is why I Mm -hmm. push for higher education. This is why I push for seminary education. It's the very thing you're talking about,
2: Jason. Yeah. And, well, I just—I want to echo that and then also turn it back to you because I know— you you have more that you want. Just a more, couple, just more a of few. Influence just you a wanna, few. You want to mention, but but I, I do want to echo that, especially for um, for those who are listening, who are trying to think through. Maybe in your own church, if your kids are in a youth ministry, or maybe you are a youth worker listening. This is why this is why seminary education is not the enemy of youth ministry, right? We, we want we like, and I I think. Um, sometimes we even get caught up, maybe not even using the word seminary, but just training in general. That was part of Tim Keller's DNA, right? He wanted to train others to do the work of ministry. And I think it's just worth mentioning. But, well, please list yeah. some more of these yeah. names because yeah. I know you're I'm excited almost, about this I'm, almost and I'm excited through. to hear yeah. who they yeah, are. Yeah, I'm almost through because yeah, we're gonna going to get to some more books yep. here
0: that are really good that may surprise some people. Yep. Uh, I want to finish up with with, uh, with uh, Gordon Conwell uh, because I mentioned Roger Nicole last, but Harold Ockengay, uh, the first president, mm-hmm. Gordon Conwell, up there, uh, just t- deeply committed to missions, uh, an icon in the evangelical world in the mid 20th century and beyond. Um, he had stepped down from the presidency right before I arrived, but it was my privilege to have lunch with him one day. And I oftentimes, it's still up there. Uh, there's a kind of a hidden room on the third floor of the Academic Center. I'll be there in a couple of weeks where it's Ockingay's Library. And I got to tell you, I love to scan the books on that shelf. I'll never get through them all, but just looking at the titles, getting ideas. Harold Linzell, who was the chairman of the board at the time, Meredith Klein, I mentioned earlier, who had followed Gerhardus uh, Voss and had a deep, deep influence on um, on uh a, a Keller, who was up there. He wrote a book called "By Oath Consigned." By Oath Consigned, and that's one that's highly recommended along with Voss's biblical theology. If you want to dig deeper into the flow of redemptive history in the scriptures, which is really, that was my Geneva college education. That was my coalition for Christian outreach training, you know, with Gerstner, Sproul and others, uh, Dutch neo-Calvinism. It's what is what it's called. Don't get lost in the, in the word there, but if you can, if you can read some of those, I mean, it's just really speaks to all of life. And then Elizabeth Elliot, um, which, you know, I, I got to read you something from her, because this was, and, and this is great, I heard this story before, and if any of you ever had the opportunity to visit or to uh, meet Elizabeth Elliot, I have. Uh, she lived right up there by the seminary, uh, and if you don't know her story, Google her, Elizabeth Elliot. quite quite a human being. Her uh, graduate of Wheaton College, her first husband was martyred uh, by the Alka Indians, along with four others, way back in the 1950s. That's an, uh, just an iconic mission story. Um, you, you, you should be aware of that. But so she lived. Her husband was a professor. Her second husband was a professor at the time, and he actually he passed away uh, while he, while she was up there from from cancer. And um, Kathy Keller talks about this class. All right, now Kathy Keller again did a shift in her in her understanding of the place of women in the church. And and I'm just gonna share with you what she writes here and what she says in Colin Hansen's book about Elizabeth Elliott. Uh, Kathy Keller recalled a class when, quote, Betty Elliott walked up and down the aisles listing her qualifications to be ordained. I am now this is Elizabeth Elliot. If if you were around her, she she could grade on you, all right. She kinda had it very edgy in your face. Um, No-nonsense personalities. I am better versed in Hebrew and Greek than any of you, as well as multiple other languages. I have more communication skills than do any of you, male or female. I, have more, uh, uh, I am comfortable uh, speaking in front of large crowds and skillful in one-to-one conversations. I have a depth of understanding of God born of suffering that few of you will match. My giftedness is far beyond most of you. I mean, it sounds so arrogant, but she was making a point here. And yet God has not called me to use those gifts in an ordained capacity. Does that mean they are of less worth? I know that not to be true. Calling is different from giftedness or even desire. And that really mm-hmm. was, was influential in, in Kathy Keller's life. So that was Gordon Conwell. Um, yeah. I left there, went back to the Philly area. New Life Presbyterian Church, where Tim and Kathy Keller, they were there. I was there 85 to 90. They were there. Uh, they moved there 85 to 89, attended New Life Presbyterian Church, which was two miles from where we lived. Um, we did Our, uh, our church did uh, combined youth ministry activities every couple of months with New Life. In fact, it was funny. Uh, Jack Miller, who was pastoring at the time and who, by the way, I'm going to recommend this book because if you want to know the DNA of Keller, Read Jack Miller's book, the uh, C. John Miller." It's called C. C is uh, C an in initial. C period John Miller is on the cover of the book. Uh, "The Heart of a Servant Leader." I read that a few years ago during COVID, a phenomenal book, and it, you can find a lot about, you know, Keller in there because he sat under that influence. But um, th- there's a great story told of how Jack Miller would go out on the street corners in Jenkintown and he would mm-hmm. talk you know, to the drug addicts and the motorcycle gang members. And in fact, one of them came to faith, married his daughter, and then was his successor at New Life Presbyterian Church. And they didn't name him, but it's my buddy who was the youth pastor there that I worked with all the time, Angelo Giuliani, whose wife Barbara is the subject of Jack Miller's and Rosemary Miller's book, Come Back, Barbara, which is a great book for parents and prodigals. I can't recommend that highly enough. Um, CCEF, he was involved with CCEF, Christian Counseling Education mm-hmm. Foundation. We're all familiar with them. And then Harvest USA, Ministry to the Sexually Broken. And then beyond that, just some other things. Um, Richard Lentz, who was a great influence on Keller with his book, The Fabric of Theology. Um, he is someone I've gotten to know who was a theology prof up at, up at Gordon-Conwell after, after I was there. And then some other influences. I'll end with this, all right? So make note of these names, and I'm going to mention some things. These are shared influences that, man, I embrace these people with a passion and try to read everything they write. So J.I. Packer, John Stott, Francis Schaeffer, Paul Little. I'll give you these names, Chris. You can, you're can. you going to be here for weeks putting this down on the show notes. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, those are great. And then the Puritans. Keller discovered the Banner of Truth publications. I think about Banner of Truth because next week they'll be in Elizabethtown here for their annual conference. I'm going to mention four, and I've read all four of these guys and continue to read and reread. Richard Baxter and the Reformed Pastor. Thomas Brooks and his book, The Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. So good. William Gernall, The Christian in Complete Armor. And then John Newton's, uh, I think it's Selected Letters of John Newton, which I've read. So um, it's great, great stuff. Can I share, uh, before we take a break, I want to share. Kyle, did you want to say something?
2: Mm-mm.
0: Okay. I, I want to share one more story before we take a break from the book because I think this is great. And I love this because I knew this guy. Um, and you guys are going to love this story because this is, this. and Keller would tell this story. It's really about the providence of God. So let me let me set it up here. That Keller's at Gordon Conwell. And one of the students is there is Mike Ford. And Mike Ford happens to be the son of the president of the United States at the time, Gerald Ford. Uh, I got to know Mike Ford after Gordon Conwell. He was not there when I was, but we overlapped and worked together on the staff of the Coalition for Christian Outreach. So uh, Mike's a great guy. I think he's still down at um, Wake Forest University as the dean of students. So. He, Keller, was very excited about this guy named Andrew Lincoln, who was going to come and be a professor at Gordon-Conwell. And for some reason, he could not get his visa. And so he was expected to miss the entire school year. And Keller was going to miss having this guy as a professor. So one of the guys, William Nigel Kerr, who was one of my church history profs at at, uh, Gordon-Conwell, who happened to be the dean at the time, was asking the students to pray that God would make a way for Lincoln, Andrew Lincoln, to get his visa to come and to teach. So here's what Keller writes. Keller writes this. At the last minute, somebody cut through the red tape. He came, and I fell under his influence. Do you know why the red tape was cut? The dean of my seminary was on his knees praying about how we were going to get this guy over here when Mike Ford, Gerald Ford's son, walked in and asked the dean what he was praying for. Mike Ford was a student at the seminary at the time. Do you know why Mike Ford was able to cut the red tape? Because his father was the president. Do you know why his father was the president? Because Nixon had resigned. Do you know why Nixon resigned? Because of the Watergate scandal. Do you know why there was a Watergate scandal? Because one day a guard noticed in the Watergate building a particular door ajar that should have been closed. Now, Keller tells that as... A, an example of God's providence and how God works through circumstances. Mm. And I, I love that because that forces us all to go back and look at our lives and just see how God's providence works. But he just connected yeah. those dots. It was a beautiful thing. So, yeah, well, let's take another break. We're going to come back, finish up. I know uh, we just got a, got a couple of minutes uh, before Kyle has to run, and uh, we're going we're gonna to finish up with a couple last questions and thoughts and some recommendations. So stay with us. Here at CPYU, we're excited to announce a brand new resource that we've created to help parents understand and respond to the many changing realities in today's youth culture. It's our brand new, free and downloadable weekly CPYU Parent Prompt. Put together in an easy-to-use format, each week's CPYU Parent Prompt will address one topic. It will explain what the world is saying about the particular trend, give you an understanding of how God's Word speaks to that trend, and we'll offer you questions and discussion prompts to use with your teenagers as you help them see how the Christian faith speaks to that particular cultural reality. You will find all of our CPYU parent prompts on our website at cpyu.org. Well, I want to remind all of our listeners that Everything we mention here on this podcast in terms of names, and it's it's overwhelming in this particular podcast, I'm sure, for Chris Wagner here, but he is going to list on the show notes, the player notes, uh, beneath the player, the show notes for this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters, which you can find on our website at cpyu.org. He will list and put links up to these names, uh, to a lot of the resources and the books and things. We're gonna add to that right now. We're gonna we're gonna burden Chris even more and he's gonna uh, He's going to add to his burden, because I want to ask Chris and Jason and Kyle uh, the question, what do you recommend as we end the podcast? Is there a particular sermon or talk that Keller has done? And I'm telling you, there are hundreds of these things that you can access online. I mean, my wife, when she goes out to walk every day, she's listening to two or three Keller sermons consistently, and I don't think she's exhausted things yet. And then also maybe a book. Uh, from Keller that's really been helpful to you. And and um, if I can say to, to Jason and Kyle, you know, we talk a lot about setting the bar high for our kids. Would you recommend as well a book that would be a good book to give to maybe high school students? Because I think they can, these things are accessible. So uh, I'll let whoever wants to begin on this. Let, let me, let me, okay, let me, let me go to Chris first, because we talked when we were off about uh, sermon series that I yeah, find sure. extremely valuable.
3: Yeah, I, I don't even know uh, what the sermon series is titled, but it's a, a sermon series
0: about marriage. I will find that and give it to you because I have. Yep. It.
3: Yeah, and I, I uh, it, it eventually became uh, the material for the book that he released, "The Meaning of Marriage." But um, the sermon series dates, I think, all the way back to 1991. 91. It was one um, of his first Redeemer and series. It, it's nine or ten sermons mm-hmm. long. Um, uh, so I I have I, actually never read the book, The Meaning of Marriage, but I've listened to this sermon series three or four times all the way through. Highly recommend it, um, especially for me uh, yet at the time, you know, I was still fairly new in my marriage and it was just super helpful in thinking through. What, what a healthy marriage looks like what what a what a godly husband looks you know what my role as a godly husband looks like um so much packed into that helpful sermon yeah. series so that's
0: one you, I'd recommend. you know what chris with that um i'm just thinking here you know i think maybe that would be a good one to listen with our high school seniors absolutely you know sit yep. with our high school seniors and juniors maybe and, and listen to that and process that so jason or kyle
1: I'll go. Um, so as far as sermons go, not a, not a series, but uh, Keller preaches a two-part sermon on Romans 7 that has, I mean, I, I love to listen to it. I've gone back and listened to those sermons a couple of times uh, since then. Um, and he talks about our relation to our flesh, you know, Paul's consternation there in that chapter. And, um, you know, that's where Paul says you know, very famously that uh, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of flesh? And Tim Keller uses um, the illustration of uh, the short work uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde to talk about our relationship to the flesh, and um, it just really opened up for me in new ways. Um, understanding, you know, the hope that we have now, even though we continue to battle with this flesh, that flesh is no longer indicative of who I am in Christ. It is now an alien force within me, and the Spirit is greater, and I already have victory over it. and you know, just the confidence that those uh, that those messages gave me in the gospel to know that the spirit is alive in me and active in me, um, those just made a great impression on me. Um, and uh, as far as a book goes, of course, Prodigal God, I think that it's just as timely now as when he wrote it, um, especially in our culture where we see uh, this interplay, this posture from the elder brother to the younger brother, I think play out in even more profound ways than in the day that he, that Keller wrote the book. Um, and just how um, how timely that message is, I think, for our culture. Um, and just how powerful the gospel is to save all of us as sinners. And we all need to understand that even in our self-righteousness and our moralism, we are in need of the gospel. Um, just a beautiful book and one that uh, I hope many will read um, in response to who is this Tim Keller guy that just died. Um, I hope many will be driven to that. Um, and for student ministry, yeah, you you mentioned the meaning of marriage for for seniors uh we have put together a curriculum uh discipleship pathway for our parents that we recommend resources all the way through um, a student's journey through middle school and high school and um, on that uh, list there's there's one resource for every semester for each grade um and we have uh, keller's the reason for god i think for sophomores in the fall of their sophomore year uh, and then we have the meaning of marriage in the fall of the uh, of seniors of the uh, of the senior year in high school to read with their parents. Uh, and um, so uh, we've just heard great feedback from parents who have read that book with their kids, both of those books with their kids and engaged in conversations. And I think Keller does that. He writes in such a way that it, it elicits conversations between students and parents. And so those two resources, I can't recommend enough for that.
0: Jason, would you would you share that document with us? Is that one that we could? We could absolutely pass okay, yeah. Chris yeah, will get that to. from me. We'll post that. That's that. That sounds like a great resource, Kyle.
2: Yeah, when I think about uh, you know resources we'd want our high school students to watch or listen to, um, my favorite Tim Keller clip. I posted it on on social media the other day when all the news was happening about him passing away. Um, if you go on YouTube and just search "The Bible is not about you," Tim Keller, uh, it's part of a bigger sermon, but he's pointing to the fact that so often we read stories. And in church, in Sunday school, you know, David and Goliath, and we hear this message that you are David, you know, you are David and you're going to go fight. And and he just flips that upside down in this short clip, which I believe is part of a bigger sermon. But that's also, he mentions, that's my favorite part of his uh, his preaching book uh, that came out several years ago, which when we think about Tim Keller um, teaching on preaching, so many people try to replicate Tim Keller and they do a horrible job I don't know if you guys ever saw several years ago there was on social media a picture of his notes he took into the pulpit and it was just like you couldn't even like like understand what was happening here so when you know you're trying to learn to preach like Tim Keller that doesn't always make sense. But in his preaching book, he, he discusses what he does in this short clip, The Bible Is Not About You, where rather than trying to put ourselves in the stories of the Old Testament, we look for where Jesus is and that Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Uh, so that's what I would recommend for students. Um, but for church leaders, one uh, article that just I've heard over the years occasionally, I just uh, found it again this morning and printed it out. Redeemer City to City put it out. It's called Leadership in Church Size Dynamics. And it's about a 10 page article that, you know, some people get up in arms about contextualization and church size. But Keller has this article that I've heard referenced throughout the years, which just helps us think through how a church of 40 will operate differently than a church of 200, which will operate differently than a church of 800 and and so forth. And I think for anyone in ministry, even if you're not the senior pastor of a church, it's helpful to read an article like this and I know Chris will put it in our show notes just to help us think through how size of our gatherings does affect how we do. It doesn't affect what we do because we're still going to preach the gospel, we're still going to pray, we're still going to evangelize, but we do need to think through the setting and I think in our youth ministry world, you know, we we have a healthy pushback on numbers and and using numbers to measure success. However, I do think we do need to realize how the number of students in our room does affect not what we do, but sometimes how we do it. So Mm. I I hope that's helpful. Mm. Yeah. Man, how do we
0: narrow it down and how do we choose? Mm. And that's one of the beautiful things about this. And I'm going to say this, man, his, the thing that stands out about Keller is his humility. I mean, it Mm. was genuine and real. And uh, just to to pray for that. Uh, Mm. Let me mention, too, as we end, and- um, I, I put a stamp of approval on every not that that matters, but on everything you guys have mentioned, really everything on the list of everything he's written. But uh, two of his devotionals, uh, the Songs of Jesus, a year of daily devotions in the Psalms, and then the one that I'm going through right now with a group on our Facebook, CPYU Together in the Word Facebook group. And by the way, anybody wants to get in there, just get on Facebook, look for CPYU uh, Together in the Word, and I'll uh, ask to be admitted to that group. We'll get you in. We're looking this year at God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, a year of daily devotions in the book of Proverbs. And this is my third time going through that particular devotional, always finding something new. Boy, the scriptures are just a treasure chest. And one of the things I appreciate so much about Keller is modeling how to dig deep into the chest, and uh, it's bottomless, you know? And uh, Keller's been so good at that. So, look, what a great conversation. I really appreciate all you guys. Um, We're grateful for Tim Keller, and I'm grateful for guys like you who... Have a high respect for a man who just loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Modeled humility so well. Um, used the gift, the gifts of his intellect and his brain. Uh, thought a good thinker. Uh, uh, just, I just pray that all of us would would uh, jump into that ourselves, and and I think uh, a lot of transformation would start to take place. Uh, keeping Jesus Amen. as Lord in front of everything. So. Kyle, I hope you have a great day. Jason, thanks for joining us. Chris, I'll see you when when we log off. Uh, I'll be helping Chris, I think, pull some of this stuff together. But uh, for the rest of you, thanks for joining us, and stick stick around because uh, pretty soon you'll be hearing another new episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent-Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.